I'm Matt Booker. I'm Dave Laird. I'm Nick Maniatis. I'm Tony McMahon. And welcome everybody to episode 34 of The Great Concavity, a special Oz Wallace conference review episode, so stay tuned. Right, so like I said, episode 34, here we are with two very special guests who are familiar to our, our listeners and our community, uh, Nick Maniatis from Howling Fantods and Dr. Tony McMahon, who is a Wallace Scholar, world traveler extraordinaire. Uh, welcome to the show, guys. Thanks so much for coming on again. Thank you. Good to be back. No worries, guys. Right on. It's a very special uh, early morning edition for our Australian guests, uh, 6.30 a.m. local time for them. So thanks for... Staying up late and waking up early, uh, respectively, Tony and Nick. <laughs> so you two gentlemen uh, recently got to partake uh, in quite a serious way in the Oz Wallace Conference in Melbourne, Australia, early September. So uh, we had uh, we got Nick to be our personal correspondent on the ground, and Nick has done a, a wide range of interviews with uh, conference attendees and presenters. So this episode will basically just look like us talking for a bit about impressions of the conference and and uh, how things have been since, and then we'll launch into Nick's uh, conference interviews. So it'll be very similar to our episode 17 episodes um, from ISU last summer in 2016. So that's sort of what we're doing. Uh, we're going to hear from a, a wide range of, of people uh, that Nick got to talk to, many of which are familiar, have been on the show before, and also a lot of new faces too. Uh, I could list them all right now, but that would take too long, and uh, you'll just you'll just hear from them a bit later. So, Nick, how was that uh, for you, getting a chance to talk to a whole bunch of people uh, on record? It was um, completely stressful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I'm sorry. I think it was... Um, just dropping in and out of uh, informal conversation, trying to be a little bit more structured. And um, mm-hmm. I think finally when I got into a role of things, which was on the final day, and doing things like only having a few seconds with Lucas Thompson, one not realizing he was running off early and having that crazy hyper-compressed me just saying his chat, his talk was great. Um, but, <laughs> but I did enjoy catching lots of the um, the pub conversation and the all the conversation at the AFL game, which I know you're going to hear a bit of as well. Tony and I had a great time at that. And I thought that evening, that event, you know, it was a really, it was that point where everybody at the conference was getting to know each other. So I was glad, I was Mm -hmm. glad I got to do it. And people wanted, people wanted to um, say hello on the podcast. So that was nice. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we're very appreciative of you, uh, of you taking on that very heavy burden of, (laughs) Sitting down with, you know, I think there's about 15, 16 interviews that you got. Yeah, I got quite a few people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's awesome, man. We really appreciate it. And, and um, we should back up and say Tony didn't just attend the conference. He planned, no. He, no, he planned it. He dreamed it up. He organized it. And Tony, did it meet your expectations of when you originally dreamed it up? What? How did it live up to the what you thought it would be? The first ever Australian David Foster Wallace conference I guess I felt a, a little bit of a sense of responsibility and I didn't sort of allow my energies to fade the way they usually did when I was organising these kinds of events. Like I've never organised a conference before. These are these are kind of 
completely unrelated events I'm talking about. But yeah, so my energy levels stayed pretty high. I mean, I paid for it after the conference, but <laughs> but, um, but I think that the conference was really well organised and I'm not blowing my own trumpet here. I had a lot of help, most notably from people like Nick and my colleague at RMIT, Bridget Magna, without whom the conference like seriously would not have happened. Mm. Um, but yeah, so overall it it really did kind of exceed my expectations. Um, the, the, the level of scholarship I thought was first rate. Um, there were no parallel panels. Um, yeah, as much as I love uh, the, the conference in normal, one thing I really don't like about it is that you oftentimes you go there and you have to make these horrible choices between seeing two people whose work you really admire yeah. speak it because they're on at the same time because there were fewer people uh i think 32 uh panelists at, uh, at the end of the end of the conference um uh we everybody got to see everybody's panel so it kind of created a real sense of community so yeah i was really really happy about that so awesome so i i mean i guess the question i have for both of you guys is how do we get more people to australia yeah, I think if the Wallace Society pays all their flights, um, <laughs> that'd probably be the easiest way. Should like, be it's a long haul, isn't it? It's 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 a long haul. We have enough for about two people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did contribute to a couple of people actually. I think there's a few. There are a few little thank yous. You know that that issue because like I I really want to attend, and there were a lot of people I know who really wanted to attend. Um, you were there via video phony, Matt. Uh, yeah, and you had, had several Skype panels. What, what was that like from um, a, a point of view? I mean, I feel like that's part of the future of conferences is just inevitable. There is always going to be Skype panels. Um, and Tony, you've seen it work in several different ways. How, how do you think that? That fits in with the the conference overall is having people via Skype. Yeah, it's a good question. I didn't really get a chance to think about it much during the during the course of the conference, but now, what are we? A couple of months later, I do remember someone someone saying to me that they were really a big fan of Claire Hayes Brady's work, and they were really looking forward to mm. to seeing seeing her. And I said that. I said to this uh, person who was a student of mine, oh, well, she's, she's appearing, appearing via Skype because she hasn't been able to make it out here. And this student of mine was, you know, a young person, 20, 21 years old. She was, like, really disappointed that she was only, only appearing <laughs> by Skype, via uh -huh. Skype. Um, and I didn't really get it at the time, but, uh, like, because I was just too crazy busy, I suppose. But now that I think about it, I suppose it's just that thing that you don't get to speak to them after their, mm. their call. Yeah, uh, their hang out at the pub. You don't get, they don't get to come to the pub. They don't get to, yeah, there's no um, summer camp stuff going on. No conversations in the hallways. Yeah. Know. So, look, yeah, I mean, it probably probably is the, the future of conferences. I mean... I think you're right, but I don't know. Maybe it's just the old Luddite in me, but, yeah, I, I, I just don't think it works as well overall. 
Yeah, there, there's something lost in that face-to-face personal yeah. interaction yeah. thing that, that yeah. spans over the whole, you know, two, three days or whatever that is, you know, insanely valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the present the papers themselves are fine. I don't think yeah. there's any difference in, in, you know, presenting a paper in person and presenting one via Skype, but it's all the kind of extracurricular stuff. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Um, can you talk a little bit about the diversity of the panels and the the number of people? Uh, and Nick, this is for you too. Like for, as a participant and Tony as an organizer, of how much thought went into um, you know trying to have different kinds of representation at the conference. Do you want to start, Nick? Or uh, look, my um my pat my conference experience from Wallace level stuff, not talking about my other teaching things. Um, I'm totally obvious, incredible diversity compared to say footnotes at Cooney many years ago, whenever that was 2009, Um, 2009. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I know that there's been that push within the Wallace community and with the Dave Hoster Wallace society. Mm. Um, but just such, such as a diverse range of panelists, um, I don't know. It didn't. It really. It really didn't have that Wallace Boys Club feeling, um, which I'm, yeah. I, I was very thankful for. Um, yeah, I'll leave it there, awesome. Tony. What about you? You've got more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, to the question of how much thought went into it, the answer is like absolutely zero because it was kind of out of my hands. The people who decided to come to Oz Wallace, people who applied to come to Oz Wallace. Um, I mean, there was only one person who I who I kind of said, well, I don't really think that your paper will work. Mm-hmm. Um, every, pretty, every, everybody else who applied came, and I think there was one cancellation. Um, so it was, it was kind of out of my hands. It just sort of was what it was and if I'm remembering correctly the gender um, makeup of the 32 panelists was almost exactly 50% men 50% women um, which I was very happy about Uh, I, I mean I feel a bit strange speaking on behalf of people in this respect but there are there were a handful, three, maybe four people who I guess would have identified as people of colour. And there was, which is three or four more than I've ever seen at any other Wallace conference. Um, and there was a student of mine who identified herself as a queer woman. So, um, yeah, and again, that's one more than I've ever seen in any other Wallace comp. And h- how many total presenters were we talking about? 32. 32. Cool. 32. Okay. Yeah. Cool. In terms of uh, like actual presentation topics, how, how many of those uh, sort of stood out as like addressing issues of diversity in Wallace's work? Is that, yeah. that well represented too? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, cool. I think it was. Um, probably not as well represented as I would have liked to have seen. I think we, as, you know, members of the of the um, board of the society uh, and um, Diego and Andrea. the rest of the diverse, Andrea and the rest of the diversity panel, I think we all still have a lot more work to do on that aspect of it. But, yeah, my 
feeling from Oz Wallace was that at least these people are starting to get involved, at least people of different genders, different races, different sexual preferences were starting to get involved, were starting to get uh, interested. And they weren't, these people weren't necessarily talking about um, those kinds of issues, Mm -hmm. but, you know, they were at least talking about Wallace, which is a start. Cool. Awesome. Great to get a good range. That's cool. I don't think I mentioned this, but it was also about fairly close to 50-50 Australian scholars and 50-50 overseas scholars. And cool. and of, of the 50% of overseas scholars, uh, I think maybe we were talking you know, mostly American, but there were a couple of Canadians. There was a, yeah, um, uh, uh, a guy from Denmark, a guy from Germany, a uh, woman from New Zealand, uh, and I'm probably forgetting... Uh, forgetting somebody or some UK as well. Uh, well, Dave Herring, speaker Dave Herring was from the UK, of course. Were there any other people from the UK? I'm not sure, I don't think so. Nick, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I can't can't remember, I'm terrible at this kind of stuff. (laughs) I need notes in front of me, (laughs) but but cert. Well, I've I've got the program in front of me, so I'm I should be able to tell, but you know. (laughs) But yeah, so just onto the what what was the kind of feeling uh, 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 of the conference? The, again, that thing you were speaking about, uh, I think towards the end of your interview with Grace Chipperfield mm-hmm. um, about uh, uh, her feelings on on yeah, could Wallace write women or or you know right. uh, uh, what whatever it was you were talking about a couple of episodes back with her. Um, I think that that was that was definitely a subject that was kind of alive and kicking in Melbourne. Mm. Uh, uh, would you agree with that, Nick? I mean, I think a, a fairly large percentage of the panels were were you know we had Daniel Alley um, speaking about that. We oh, had yeah. my student Rachel Short, who I already mentioned earlier, uh, Claire Hayes Brady. Uh, I I think I actually had to run out halfway through her talk because you know i was in mad organizer mode uh but um um would you agree with that nick that assessment yeah yeah it was it, it was actually hard to keep track of all the threads and and i know that you had some you know some creative panel um things so that there were i guess similarities of themes and and, and panelists could respond to each other somewhat um through their papers but uh yeah, I mean, it was good because it kept me thinking the whole time. I, I, I found, I know that came through in some of the tweets that I put out as well, but it was very difficult to try and process and tweet uh, and sure. um, try and encapsulate that for everyone. It was a bit crazy. And then do 15 interviews too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank, thanks, Nick. And and thanks for doing those tweets and thanks for doing the interviews. We really appreciate yeah. it. No worries. Yeah, thanks so much, Nick. So, Tony, what are your kind of, uh, like, after the conference has been over for a couple months, what's kind of been the fallout? What's been, like, your feeling about it in the last, you know, as you've been processing it in the last couple months? What kind of things have come out of it for you? Um, well, like I said like I said earlier, I think it, it, it really exceeded my expectations. I thought that given that I was organising it, um, I thought it was going to be, like, It'd probably probably be good, but it wouldn't be great. Uh, and, <laughs> Very and, self-deprecating, uh, Tony. 
Well, the history, as I again, as I touched on earlier, history has shown that that, that I, 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 I'm really, really enthusiastic at the start of these things, and then I run out of energy halfway through. Yeah. Um, I did run out of energy halfway through Oswald's, but I kept going anyway. And again, I'll mention Bridget Magna, who, who was just uh, an enormous help, and also gave like a really cool paper on room of the system which doesn't get enough yeah academic attention i think um but yeah so so uh largely thanks to her and you know nick as well i mean he was he was like enormous he was like yeah texting me going do you want me to show up early to help with registration yeah and then he was running around doing all this stuff for you guys and then he was live tweeting I mean, he was he was enormous as well. So I had a lot of help from a lot of people. It wasn't all to do with me, uh, but yeah, really, really exceeded my expectations. I at the conference dinner after it was all over, and it, and everyone could kind of take a bit of a deep breath. Mm-hmm. Um, I asked uh, David Herring to if he wouldn't mind giving an informal kind of conference wrap to everybody. So after we'd all um, finished dinner. And all had a few drinks, and we're all feeling a little bit merry. Uh, yeah, I did that. I did the old tap the uh, wine glass with the knife thing, <laughs> and uh, Dave Herring stood up and um, and um, said that uh, besides Paris, it was the best Wallace conference he'd ever been to. So that made me feel. That's saying cool. a lot. I mean, you're never going to beat Paris, right? Because it's in Paris. I, right? I didn't go to Paris. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, if you had a thumb to... <laughs> we missed you, Matt. I didn't know you yet, but I, we still missed you. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, it's funny because Dave Herring, you know, organized one of the first Wallace conferences in Liverpool in um, 2009. Maybe the first one, actually. I think that was the first yeah. one. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm sure that his his self-deprecating nature would not allow him to say that his was one of the best, but <laughs> I, I'm sure it was pretty great being um, in Liverpool. And I mean, I, I'm really sad that uh, I, I missed it. And, you know, and this is something I think about a lot and that there are people, you know, involved in Wallace studies that are not strictly in academia uh, like myself, uh, who have nine to five jobs, and it's really hard to, to attend, um, you know, one conference a year, much less two or three or four or five. And that's a little different whenever you're, uh, you know, on a tenure track job or you've, you know, you work in academia full time and you're able to attend more and more um, conferences as part of your professional life. Uh, so it's it's an interesting thing that our kind of the niche that we are all in uh is got a blend of people who, you know, that is their life. And then there's people who they just go to one thing. And I'm sure there were people at Oz Wallace who had never been to an, another sort of Wallace event, you know? Yeah, there were, there were. And um, that was one of the reasons I tried to include some kind of more non-academic uh, panels, if you like. Um, I, I did try and have a kind of variety of, of, um, yeah, Q and A type panels like the one we did with you, Matt, on the society yeah. 
Uh, I was decidedly non-academic when <laughs> me and Mike Miley, uh, Mike Miley and I, I should say, did a, a panel there. And we talked about a lot of these same issues we were just talking about, about gender and diversity. And uh, and, and that's kind of like I was very self-aware during that, Tony. And I should tell you, like, you know, in, anytime you have like white dudes talking about like gender diversity, like yeah. you've kind of yeah. you've kind of like have to just admit how fucked up it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm very aware of it. Like, even now, I'm just, like, so self-conscious all the time of it. Like, shh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what to say, what to do. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's like we're trying to give an opportunity to other people to speak, but yet we're still speaking. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I – and – just just before when I was talking about um, how many people of colour there were at the at the at Oz Wallace, I mean, who am I to say? I'm a white guy, you know. People of colour should be talking about how many people of colour there were at the at Oz Wallace. Mm. Yeah, it, it's 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 a dilemma. Yeah, it's nuanced for sure. Well, in, in this moment too, like you said, the the stuff about the the kind of Harvey Weinstein era that we're in now, post Harvey Weinstein era. Um, yeah, that was kind of going down when I was uh, at the Texas Book Festival, the beginning of November. And it's one of my favorite things in the year is that I always go to the Texas Book Festival and I always like to moderate a panel. And um, you get to talk to all these other writers who are in town. They bring in like 400 writers yeah. and agents and, and publishers. And the thing that was on everyone's mind was kind of the book publishing equivalent of this, which is a list that came out called Shitty Men in Media List. Um, <laughs> and if you haven't seen it, I mean, you can go and like hunt it down and it's like an Excel spreadsheet. And it's, you know, people who work at all of these publications and media companies and, you know, a list of charges varying from, you know, rape and sexual assault all the way down to like, you know, just made annoying comments. Um, and that's really all anyone could talk about or think about uh, was kind of like this list and like, did you know someone on it? Should this other person be on it? And sort of, uh, you know, a long kind of standing feeling that I think has bubbled to the top now and like definitely makes you think like what is – our role or responsibility or like what in any kind of power that you have, like what, what kind of, how do you exercise that without being, you know, complete worthless, you know, I, at least I think of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, looking on the, you know, being a, being the eternal optimist, I mean, if you're going to organize an Australian Wallace conference, you've got to be an optimist, right? Um, <laughs> and, uh, um, I mean, I just, I just think about what's it going to be like in 10 years or 20 years or 40 years when I'm dead and my daughters are still around. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be a Hollywood where this sort of stuff just doesn't happen anymore, you know? Wallace, yeah. is, still, Wallace is still going to be read in 40 years. He's still going to be read in mm. 140 years, in my opinion. And we won't be talking about this stuff anymore. It'll have been yeah. sorted out by a hideous man on the scene, you think? There'll be less. Well, it'll be sorted out by smarter and less <laughs> white people than us. So, yeah, and it'll be cool. I mean, that's a, like the Martin Luther King Jr. quote. You know, is that the 
arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice. Right. And, you know, and I do believe that, like, each generation does seem to make progress. And, you know, I, I think of my grandfathers who um, were casual racists, if not outright racist just because that was the culture <laughs> it was yeah. like that's what they were raised up in and uh you know i do i blame them so much for it i don't know it's hard to say because it's like do you hold what standard do you hold everyone who was born in you know 1700s to your standard that's just i mean you can but it's unrealistic yeah. like you're yeah, just going to be disappointed mm-hmm. um okay just just before we say anything else Matt, I want to thank you profoundly for comparing me to Martin Luther King. By the way. <laughs> yeah. Both doctors. Both doctors. So. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, when I think of Tony, uh, that's the first thing that comes to mind every time. It's like, uh, <laughs> no, I, <laughs> the sentiment was there. Okay. The sentiment was there. Um, the idea that, uh, things get better probably predates Martin Luther King Jr. So <laughs> that was my simplistic uh, reductionist uh, uh, Roger's or, you know, Bartlett's familiar quotations. But, uh, any, uh, any final thoughts on the conference, Tony? Um, yeah. Uh, thoughts on a future Oswald's conference, things like that. Well, there may be another Oswald's conference. You'll have to find another organizer though, because <laughs> Fuck if I'm ever doing it again. It was just so stressful. You have a newfound uh, I mean, respect for Ryan Edel, I bet. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it was worth it. I'd, you know, I'd yeah. do it again in a heartbeat if I hadn't already done it. Does that make sense? Yep. Uh, um, um, yeah. So I really do hope um, hope that that there'll be another one because it's. I don't know. It felt like, and again, it's going to sound a bit like I'm blowing my own trumpet here, but. But like I said, I, you know, I just sort of thought it up and a lot of other people did a lot of work and obviously the panellists who came and presented did, were, were the people who, who made it so great. So, um, and plus, I've already been compared to Martin Luther King on this podcast. I don't want to compare myself to Tony Wilson from Factory Records, but I will. Um, so... You, know, you guys know Tony Wilson, Factory Records, Manchester, England, put out bands like Joy Division, The Happy Mondays, okay. started the started the High Sienda Club, basically invented house music. Anyway, he was this kind of... <laughs> Matt's shaking I'm more his of a head. <laughs> I'm just a read. He was kind of this crazy um, Manchester guy who, who did all this, like, really historic sort of punk and post-punk stuff and he he died a few years ago he he had this he had this really odd um cancer and um the nhs which is the british um british healthcare system uh there was some it's actually a really good healthcare system but there was some really odd quirk where he couldn't get this drug that um would have prolonged his life because it was really, really expensive. And this is a guy who's, who had had millions and millions of pounds go through his hands, but he right. spent it all on, on you know, yeah, this nightclub, putting out Joy Division records, putting out Happy Monday records, what have you. And um, this interviewer asked him if he was bitter about it, bitter that he wasn't able to, you know, pro- prolong his life. 
by um, because he didn't have any money anymore because he'd spent it on all this really cool stuff. And he his answer has always stuck with me. It was like, bitter? Are you kidding? I got to put out Unknown Pleasures, which is Joy Division's first album. Um, like, how many people get to say that? And so, well, look, sorry, David Herring. I mean, like bringing David Herring to Australia to talk about David Foster Wallace isn't the same thing as putting out uh, George <laughs> record, but it's and it's, it's not probably not off. even it's probably not even in the same ballpark, but it's it's maybe in the same suburb the ballpark is in, and <laughs> that's what happened with Oz Wallace. Like David uh, Herring came to Australia to talk about Wallace's work, and like I said earlier, Wallace is still going to be read in 140, 250 who knows, maybe 500 years' time, uh, and um, Oz Wallace will have played, you know, uh, in this part of the world, will have played an important part in, in bringing his work to this part of the world. So, yeah, yeah awesome. I'm, I'm really, really proud of that, you know. That's great, man. Well, we're very thank appreciative you for, thank of, you for of doing the work it, that Tony. you did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry thanks, we God. couldn't be there. Yeah, too bad this well, planet's so big, you know. Yeah, it is a big ass planet. Um, <laughs> and if it does happen next year, you'll be in New Zealand, right, Dave? Yeah, until about August. So okay. I, I might just miss it by a few weeks. But well, I I I nominate. I I hereby publicly nominate <laughs> um, Lucas Thompson to organise. Oh, the, the gauntlet's been thrown <laughs> at uh, at Sydney University. And cool. uh, because that's a that's a really great campus. I mean, RMIT is a great campus as well, but Sydney's a lot easier to get to for a lot of Americans as well. Oh yeah, that's probably true. Hey? So, um, if you're listening, Lucas. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're you're featured on this episode, Lucas. So hopefully, hopefully, it gets back to you somehow. Yeah. What are the chances of you coming to the U.S. next year, Tony? Yeah. I, yeah. I. I can't say I'll definitely be there, but I missed last year, as you guys know, and it um, haunts you to this day. It just felt really, really awful. Okay. So, um, yeah, I really want to be there. I'll share that big, big bedroom with you. <laughs> that's that is bed. a big bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> that's my bedroom. I had, I had it before you. Yeah, he's oh, the man. OG. He forfeited it. Actually, <laughs> that, that bed is big enough. You and I could sleep in it, and nobody would have together, and nobody I'm would have with say it. anything. It's like no. it's got its own postcode. That bed. Yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable with it. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Right. Well, thanks again, Tony, for coming on so early and uh, for all your great work with this conference. No. We're excited for people to hear uh, hear about your experience and from all of the presenters coming up. So stay tuned. Thanks, guys. And thanks to Nick as well. Thank you, Nick. Really enjoyed listening to them, and uh, everyone's going to enjoy them as well, I'm sure. No worries. It's good good to chat again. Absolutely. Bye. Okay, testing. There we go. Nick back. Um, uh, once again, a little bit of a, a snippet for um, the Great Concavity podcast. I'm um, sitting here right now with um, Tasha Izen and uh, Philip Says from the University of Toronto in Canada. And uh, they're going to say a quick hi and a little bit about the conference and what they spoke about. 
Hi, uh, I'm Taja Eisen. Uh, I'm a combined degree student in law and English literature at the University of Toronto. Um, and my paper was titled Legal Fictions and the Abyss of Total Noise, Wallace and the Problem of Genre. Um, and in the paper, the idea I was trying to get at was, um, I guess, the idea of the law as a system that we try to use to make sense of experience, much like we might use genre, fiction or nonfiction, to try and um, organize the world. But um, I wanted to look at the ways in which it fails, um, especially in The Pale King. Um, and uh, I used the idea of the legal fiction to get at some of these questions. Yeah, thanks. It was really interesting as well. It was one of the ones that I, I remember I said to you I had difficulty tweeting about because I was so focused on following what you were saying and it was new to me. Mm. So yeah, that was I, I quite enjoyed that panel as well. Cool, thanks so much. And on to... My name's Philip Sayers, um, also at the University of Toronto. Um, my paper was, um, it was about the different metaphors of authorship that are present in The Pale King, both in terms of the published book and the archival material. Um, I was really interested in the, the really practical side of authorship, the day-to-day -day labor that is involved in making literature. Um, so that led me to spend a couple weeks in the Harry Ransom Center looking at all of the Pale King materials, all of the notes that Wallace took from his accounting classes that he audited. Thanks, Tony. We'll, um, we'll, we'll just continue we'll recording our small snippet. Of <laughs> <laughs> we might leave that in. Sorry about that. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't have a big red flashing light saying recording. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. No, don't worry. <laughs> Yeah, so I was interested in the different metaphors that Wallace uses to talk about authorship, both explicitly and implicitly, the way that he compares writing to the kind of work that accountants do, uh, the way that he thinks about the relationship between writing and study, and the way that he uses this idea, the image of the cowboy as a figure that connects to what writers do. Yeah, I, I, I like that, that idea of the cowboy and the metaphor of it. And I was expecting totally for it to be the kind of the Wild West type cowboy specifically. But then when you moved into that idea of the, the corralling of, of, of herds and, and, and organising information around that, and that's when I stopped and looked up and went, oh, I didn't expect it to go there. That was really super interesting. So have you felt about the conference so far? It's been great. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I really like... Um, I really like that it's a small conference and that everybody is turning up at everyone's panels and uh, it really creates a nice sense of collegiality and discussion. I've really enjoyed that aspect. Yeah, I've really appreciated the way that, um, that a lot of the papers have, and this is I guess a, a turn that's, that seems to be happening in Wallace Studies, they've started, um, because you know we've covered the basic ground in, in yes. Wallace Studies at this point, the relationship between Wallace and postmodernism, etc. A lot of the best papers that I've heard have been the ones that um, connect Wallace's work to, to really kind of vital concerns in terms of political history. Um, there's been a lot about the relationship between Wallace and neoliberalism. Um, your paper, Taja, um, got at the relationship between Wallace and, and political and legal history, yes. which is another way of like connecting it to a really like important and debate that can connect Wallace studies to, to broader political and legal conversations. Well, it was wonderful to have both of you here. Thank and you thanks so for having much. a quick talking head on the podcast as well. And hopefully, I'll get lots of other people as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool, thanks so much. <laughs> See you. Bye bye.
All right, we're live, it's going, excellent. Um, hello everyone, Nick again, not surprisingly. Um, I've managed to just catch Grace Chifferfield when she's on her way, so she's not gonna make the conference dinner tonight. But I just thought I'd um, pop in and say, thanks for the awesome Concavity podcast that you took part in. Um, what did you speak about very briefly and what have been your um, thoughts about the conference? Okay, so my paper was on um, Kafkaesque humor in Wallace's fiction. So I was looking at the idea um, well, my starting point was his essay on Kafka, where he describes U.S. citizens as adolescent, yes. and looking at that in relation to how he sees Kafkaesque humour at work, and then applying that to his fiction to suggest that he's using Kafkaesque kind of funniness to try and get his reader to grow up. I, I really enjoyed your paper and the, oh, the, you. some of the examples, the the furious infant, oh, etc. Was just, I was so yeah. glad I got to talk about yeah. him. <laughs> Conference overall, it's been brilliant. Like. Um, really diverse range of papers um what i've noticed this time is a lot of people focusing on the pale king more yes um but i have to say a couple of my highlights um and not just because you're interviewing me but would be <laughs> your um spectacular show where you kind of opened up about mental health and everything yes. yeah. and um also just seeing some of the non-academic papers presented here yes. tonight um tonight today <laughs> uh ollie's for example yes them was really really Lovely. I, I got so much out of it. And there was, a, there was an interesting twist to it that I didn't expect, which is reading Wallace might open you up to ways of thinking that are maybe not so healthy sometimes as well. Yes. Um, and seeing his own personal diaries and sort of tracking the changes in the way that he thought about things, I, I found that to be a take that I've not kind of had anyone speak openly about. It was wonderful and um, I think that it reminds me a lot of Matthew Luder's paper, Matt Luder's paper yes. from um, Normal this year. Um, so you guys should get in touch if you're listening, uh, because I think that idea of bringing the personal more um, front and centre into Wallace Scholarship is, seems to be happening a little bit more, which is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. look, I know you've got to run off, but thanks so much for doing a talking head. All right. I can give you something. Uh, I've, well, no, I'm just going to do this right now. I've got Lucas Thompson with me here. And um, we are in between a couple of the final papers for the conference. Um, Lucas, your Nathan for you um, paper was incredible um, and opened my eyes to more deeply to sort of some of the sincerity in that show. Um, how did you feel about bringing that to the conference? Uh, a little nervous, to be honest, but thank you for the compliment. That's really nice to hear. Um, yeah, I didn't know how people are going to find it. I feel like it's a hard sell, that show, to, to kind of convince people to engage with her. Um, but I feel like there's something important there in terms of Wallace's version of sincerity that's going to be expressed. Um, and I feel like people would be interested in it. So that's I, I completely I agree. Look, it's really great to meet you. I'm sorry that this was a rushed talking head. Okay, um, back with more conference, uh, what do we call ourselves, delegates? I don't know. Attendee, Attendees. Attendees. Oh, presenters, keynote speaker. Key, key, keynote David speaker, Herring. David Herring. Corinne, I forget your surname, Corinne. And presenting the first paper of the conference. So maybe, Corinne, do we want to start with you? What, tell us quickly, <laughs> quickly, briefly, um, what, what did you present about? I presented on Wallace and Michel Serres a French philosopher who more people should read. 
and on sensory perception and the construction of the self. That's right. Because yes. that started, that was kind of that thread of embodiment, embodiment type stuff um, and disembodiment. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not the expert here, but that was one of the things where the second day, lots of that stuff started coming together in my head. So to have that going from the very start was really cool and interesting. Thank you. I use cool and interesting a lot. That's, yeah. It's all good. What about you, David? What did you present the keynote about? Uh, that was on the relationship between Wallace and Ronald Reagan. So thinking about Wallace's relationship with Reagan as a way to unpack and kind of decipher his politics and how those politics changed through the 80s and 90s and to late in his career as well. Yeah, and I, once again, there was a thread of sort of neoliberalism in Wallace's work yes. and, and pushing against it or whatever, all, like all those bits and pieces. And for somebody who really, from the politics side, I knew nothing about it. I know so much more now. And it was fascinating. It was really interesting. I, I have to mention that you talk, spoke a little bit about the unfinished story from the archive, Wickedness, as well. Yes. Um, and that was just fascinating. So it would be interesting to read more about that down the track. Mm. So, general thoughts about the conference? It's been great. Real, I mean, I've been to quite a few Wallace conferences, and this has been just absolutely fantastic. Really well organized, friendly. Did you hear that, Tony? <laughs> just, it's been great. Yeah. You know, collegial, everyone's been at pretty much all the papers, yes. which yes. is always good. Um, yeah, it's been fantastic. And I will echo that, having been to many a conference, when you can have those threads. The way they happen is because you've heard everybody's paper. Yes. And it's lovely to hear how the papers speak to one another and to actually have the speakers who come later kind of pick up the threads, yes. which I think most people did. So it's been great. It's been great having you both here as well in Australia. That's been the fun yeah. bit for me. Um, thanks heaps for the talking heads. And hopefully I can stop it. Test. We've got audio, which we do. All right. Um, now I'm speaking to another presenter, um, Oliver, and I'll get him to introduce himself and um, uh, let us know what he spoke about today. Okay. Hello. I'm Oliver. I'm 24. Uh, I'm a musician, and I'm trying to become a librarian. Uh, I spoke about the impact that Foster Wallace has had on the self, or myself, um, and other people's selves, I guess. But I was using a uh, my diaries and some of my song lyrics to uh, show, I guess, a development in my like psyche, I guess, uh, uh, from someone who was maybe not very uh, self-critical or self-conscious towards someone who was slightly more self-critical and self-conscious through reading Foster Wallace's work. Um, and yeah, that was, I'm not like necessarily sure that that's an awesome thesis but it was kind of like what my instincts were telling me is something that has influenced me from reading his works. I, I have to admit what I found and I know a couple of other attendees found is that when you mentioned that um, reading Wallace kind of invokes a new way of thinking for you but I, I really liked this idea that some of that maybe wasn't healthy for you. And when you showed some diary entries, because you seem to keep meticulous diaries, that showed that kind of change in thinking and looking at the world, I, I actually found that really powerful and kind of a new perspective of the way that Wallace has an impact on his readers. Yeah, well, I was trying to show that there were good things about Wallace's self-consciousness and, you know, his ability to target himself and be so fastidious in, like, picking all his problems out 
actually allows him to kind of grow to become more, you know, a kind of better person. And we were actually talking in the conference about shame and what is good about shame. Some yes. things are good about shame, you know. Um, shame can just make you into a better person when you reflect on it. Yes. But at the same time, there's kind of like an, a point where shame and, like, I guess just like, it, it come, might come back to a low self-esteem where you can't actually see yourself in any sort of good life and you're yeah you're not you're getting in this loop of your own limitations rather than your strengths and stuff I don't know but um yeah anyway I was really curious because like my instincts has always been that like I've always associated Foster Wallace with the word self-conscious and I think being self-conscious is not always the best thing sometimes it's better just to be conscious of the world around you yes. and I think Foster Wallace was conscious of that himself you know he was trying to get over that and to become but I don't know yeah, yeah anyway. well, overall impressions of the conference in 20 seconds um, it was awesome yeah um, it's great to meet people from Australia who are interested in the same stuff and um, I don't really have that many friends who I can talk to about it so it's same great. I yeah. think you know it's the other end of the, the wire for 20 years and meeting yeah. other people with the same interests is just fantastic yeah. and of course we're at the post conference dinner now so it's all a bit noisy but yeah. thank you so much for your time okay thank you Nick. Alright, testing, we're on. Alright, well, we're having a bit of a break outside of the, uh, the Lincoln for the conference dinner, but right here I have a conference organiser extraordinaire, Dr. Tony McMahon. Tony, um, how do you feel? It's all done and dusted, almost. I feel pretty relieved, I've got to say. Uh, I feel pretty proud of, uh, of everybody who... Uh, presented, uh, everybody who made the effort to travel here. Uh, as I'm sure Nick's already told you, we've had people come from Canada, from uh, Denmark, from uh, Liverpool, obviously with Dave Herring. We've had lots of people come from America. Uh, and of course, lots of uh, people come from various parts of Australia. And I'm just really kind of proud of pretty much everybody who just showed up and, and presented and uh, yeah, a little overwhelmed, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> a really tight ship was run. Um, I mean, I, I know that, you know, I've been at conferences, not just the one Wallace conference I've been to um, before this one, but, you know, uh, tech ed conferences and what have you. And when sessions run over time, it's just nightmarish to keep on track. And I think, you know, the, the, the people hosting the panels and convening and, you know, the looks and nods to you, I think kept a pretty tight ship the whole time. And I... For me, that's one of the highlights. We got through so much stuff. Yeah, yeah, we did. I think I may have been a school teacher in another life, Nick. Oh, <laughs> hang on, no, that's this life, right? Um, yeah, no, it's it, it is important. I think you're right. It's when people go over time, it's kind of inconsiderate, and it you know it is it's detrimental to the other people they're sharing a panel with. Not to mention the people on the panels yet to come yes. on that day. So yeah, we that that happened once or twice perhaps but not kind of severely no not at all and um you know so yeah it was uh um it was something i was really conscious of from being at other uh conferences not just wallace conferences but other conferences more generally uh and yeah it was something i really wanted to keep an eye on so i did look i'm um, super top quality keynote and plenary as well like that's you know, once again, you, you, a conference can sometimes be defined by those, yep. and they were yep. incredible. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, David Herring. I mean, I, 
My, my co-convener, Bridget, who deserves um, as much, if not more, credit than me for, for organising this conference. Uh, she's going to tell me when she hears this that it's masculinist of me to say this, but I'm going to say it. Uh, Dave Herring's, uh, in my opinion, the world's most important Wallace scholar. And uh, he, of course, was the keynote speaker. Uh, Lucas Thompson uh, is Australia's most important Wallace scholar and he was the plenary uh, yes. speaker. So, um, yeah, the combination of those two together, it's pretty unbeatable. Yeah, and, and look, the social stuff was good as well. Um, we had our drinks on the first night. We had our spectacular where we had a pretty nice and powerful open chat and banter and I really enjoyed that. Um, bit cathartic for me. I'm not going to talk about it because that's the whole point. I didn't want it to be recorded. Um, but then the football last night and yeah, and yeah. and a really chilled but nice dinner at the end. Um, would you do it again? Would I organise another Wallace conference in Australia? Probably not. But this is because I have barely slept for the past two weeks. <laughs> My cat hasn't seen me for three days. He's going to not talk to me for another three weeks. So at this stage, I'm saying no. But I suspect it might be one of those things where I get home, yeah. get a couple of good nights, bank a couple of good nights sleep, the cat starts, you know, leaving hair on my favourite new Wallace T-shirt that I got on Friday night, and, I'm, and I start thinking, oh, well, maybe I should do it again in two years' time. I wouldn't do it every year. I don't think there's the... Um, the, just the numbers uh, yes. here in Australia to do it every year. Agreed. But uh, I think it, it's something that could be done every second year. Perha uh, perhaps in two years' time we could take it to Sydney. Yeah. Uh, something like that. Yes. I know Sydney's a lot easier for a lot of uh, people to get to, yes. like the Canadians, for example. Yes, yes. They were flying back to Sydney tonight and then home. Oh. So if we held it in Sydney, that would kind of make it so much easier for them. Sure. Um, so... Yeah, and look, I might, you know, allow myself to be talked into kind of uh, coming on in an advisory capacity sure. for that or something. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. We did we did miss that there wasn't a paper from you. Um, yes. And I know that yeah. the, the constraints yeah. around that are, are yeah. horrific yeah. and, and yeah. stressful. Yeah. But, um, yeah. you know, if I think back to two years ago at that panel in, in down back here in Melbourne, mm. and, mm. Uh, and, and you spoke about Australian slang and uh, in Wallace's works and you know that kind of side to things is also another you know there's another another interesting perspective so it, it'd be nice to hear from you as well in a future Australian one yeah yeah well look if it does happen here again um, then you know perhaps I'll feel like I'm in a in a position to be able to deliver a paper which I just didn't feel like I was uh, here I was too busy with other stuff um, and you know I think there's a real lot of interesting stuff about Wallace and, uh, and Australia uh, people might not realise it, but he does use, as you say, a lot of sl a lot of Australian slang in his in his work. Uh, he he kind of name checks Australia a hell of a lot. His sister lived here for two years, and they wrote letters to each other, and they spoke about Australian culture uh, or lack thereof, um, <laughs> uh, and Australian idioms and Australian practices. And he uh, this is something people may not know that uh, his sister Amy told me recently that. Um, uh, while he was composing Broom of the System, uh, Wallace listened almost exclusively to Midnight Oil, who right. were, of course, an Australian band, and actually wrote her a letter uh, when he was coming to the end of the book because the tape was wearing out <laughs> and uh, he was fretting 
that um, he wasn't going to be able to finish the book if he didn't have his midnight oil tape. So his sister had to go hunting around Brisbane to find the original person whose record she taped. Wow. Uh, and and she, she remade the tape and, and, and sent it over to him. So he had a, he had a new tape so he could finish, of midnight oil <laughs> so he could finish Brewing with the Sister. So there's just a lot of little kind of things like that. I mean, Bill Latanzi spoke about oh. about Wallace going to John Newcomb's tennis camp yes, uh, yes. in, in uh, Texas in the early 70s. And um, and that, and so there being an Australian connection there uh, and, you know, even went so far as to suggest, albeit a little facetiously, that, <laughs> that uh, you know, that he, he went... Uh, so Bill went online and got all these photos of John Newcomb's tennis camp and suggested, like I said, a little facetiously, that perhaps it was, you know, without John Newcomb's... Uh, or Wallace's experience at John Newcomb's camp, there may have been no Enfield Tennis Academy. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, and, you know, I'm not sure how, you know how that's going to hold water but it's fun to kind of think about absolutely yeah well look tony thank you again and thank you from me um it's been incredible to be here and um let's hope there's at least one more or many more to come thanks nick thank Cheers. you oh we're on again and i'm here now with with mitch do you want to introduce yourself mitch uh g'day my name's uh, dr mitch cunningham oh uh, doctor that's right of yeah, course yeah yeah it's uh, recently recently doctor thanks to uh mr david foster wallace yeah. <laughs> um and uh yeah no i presented at the conference on friday on the topic of uh psychoanalysis and reader response theory in wallace did you have fun? I had so much fun. I always have fun at Wallace conferences. Uh, I remember the Paris conference especially. That was uh, my first chance as a young scholar to sort of meet everybody and uh, uh, go out for beers with everybody. <laughs> and uh, it's been really good to reprise that this time around. I remember um, when we first met a couple of years ago at the, the Melbourne panel that we did. And I was, I was actually overwhelmed because I know, you know, you were sharing with me your knowledge about Wallace, but you were also, I was really excited about how you were talking about new waves of criticism and scholarship and it, it made me excited about new stuff to come. So to know, you know, to see that starting two years ago and then come through with this conference and see all that kind of stuff, it's been really cool and exciting. So, oh, look at that, I get a message, a message. and I haven't turned that off. So oh. that's right, we'll let that play as part of the, the right. audience. But finally, um, overall impressions, what do you think? Overall impressions, well, I agree with you, first of all, that it was exciting to see uh, a new wave of Wallace scholarship sort of addressing the contemporary moment. moment. Yeah. So there was a um, fair bit of fair bit of political consideration going into what was going on which I think is important yes. I think there are lessons from Wallace that need to be learned um, uh, and need to be applied to yeah again the current moment maybe not 10 years ago maybe right now yeah, so, yeah. yeah. there was also something uh, I know you were mentioning with Tony just before uh, your discussion with him on yes. the Friday night yes. and there was something that you said that stood out to me was um, just about for, uh, reaching that point of uh, feeling open with just sharing your life with a particular group of people yes uh for whom wallace had sort of opened the door on just that sense of being able to talk yes and yeah. able to share and i completely agree with that and i think that was here at the conference yes i totally uh, agree that spirit of camaraderie is it uh i'm not that experienced with conferences but i don't know how common it is for virtually everyone from the conference to want to move as a cohort yeah. and just spend time together afterwards and just 
share a bit about life. See, for me, it's one Wallace conference before this one and, you know, education conferences, English teaching conferences, technology conferences with hundreds, if not thousands of delegates. And, and, you know, they're huge. And it's dissemination of information, not the discussion around it, not Mm. so much. Um, And that's the kind of thing I loved about this. Um, Mitch, thank you so much. And um, let's hope for if there are more to come, we get to speak more. Thank you, Nick. As well as 2019. Oh, of course, and a scooter starts up at the time. I'm here with Bill. Um, Bill, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us very briefly what you spoke about at the conference? Sure, I'm Bill Latanzi. I came here from Boston, um, invited by Tony. I've never been invited to an intercontinental conference before um, to sort of reproduce the talk I had done previously of a tour of David Foster Wallace's Boston, which had some uh, a fig leaf of intellectual uh, <laughs> ideas around it, around uh, Wallace's uh, transformation of um, the kind of unpromising regular places of his life yes. into the art of infinite jazz. I agree. I think there were some great images in there. Um, and, you know, for me, as somebody who hasn't visited that area, it was great to get that kind of virtual tour thing. But am, am I allowed to talk about the, the Texas spoiler? Sure. Um, I was a kind of had my mind blown about the John Newcomb Tennis School. Um, how did you find out about that? I don't know how I've missed it. Maybe I've just been busy the last few years. No, it's just a single line in the uh, Max biography. Right. Okay, that's why um, I missed it. <laughs> and and I started looking, and there's just this amazing website that, if you look, it just it, it you know Wallace had gone. He paid his own way, I guess, to go there one summer, um, and it's a three week program. And I don't know. He may have had ambitions to be a professional tennis player. And there's a year-round academy there that's still there, a pre-professional academy. Sure. And when you, when I looked at the website, I thought, oh, my God, this is the Enfield Tennis Academy. And the more I looked at those videos, there's this great uh, section of um, John Newcomb uh, lecturing the kids and yes. saying, you're, it's not about your strokes. It's about yourself. You have to analyze yourself. <laughs> wow, I guess I know where that came from. Oh, it was just, it was, that was a moment in the conference. Yeah. And there was, a, there was that nice hush around the room of people looking at each other going, what? <laughs> it was just great. What, what overall impressions? What would you think? Oh, the greatest time ever. It was so much fun. Melbourne is, you know, a warm, welcoming, wonderful place. The, first of all, um, I was really kind of uh, um, set back and undone by all the smiling uh, people I encountered, all the shop, <laughs> shop people and restaurant people. I just sure. like, what do you mean you're smiling and being nice to me? What do you want from me? <laughs> uh, but in fact, they're just friendly. And, and the conference couldn't have, been, couldn't have been better. People from all over all gathered together uh, to talk about this, this work that they love and have problems with and uh, can't get away from. Yes. And, you feel like you're um, you feel like you're part of a community and, and, and part of something that's um, a community that's growing and pushing forward. Yes. And uh, I, I feel really lucky to be a part of it. You know, it's like in theater we say um, it's it, it's uh, nobody has to do everything. Everybody just has a little piece of the thing. Sure. Um, and it's a little bit like that. So I, I had agree. A great time. Thank you so much for your time. Hope you're to welcome. meet you again. Yeah. I'll see you again. <laughs> I'll see you again. Yeah. Thanks. Sir. Thanks so much. Okay, I'm here with, with Ashleen, and um, I'll let her introduce herself and have a little chat about what she spoke about. Uh, well, I'm Ashleen Smith, and I'm a PhD candidate from Monash University. I presented a paper on shame narratives in The Pale King at Oz Wallace. Um, so tracing shame through three dif- th- two different uh, story arcs in The Pale King. Firstly, Chris, um, 
firstly Chris Vogel and secondly yes. David Cusk. Um, and yeah, just talking about the status of shame there. I, um, I, I had a very personal response. Um, I, I spoke at the Wheeler Centre launch for, um, for the Pale King a few years back. I was okay. invited to speak and I read David Cusk's, one of his sections about sweating um, because that's me and it invokes shame and I walk around with spare t-shirts and you know Tony's made comments about Nick's great with the t-shirts he loves his t-shirts but you know the other side of it is I carry those t-shirts around because I sweat heaps and I get stressed about the sweating so you know that resonated with me and I'm sure it resonates in different ways with some of the readers and I'm also taking over what your paper was about here but um <laughs> but it's a part that I was fascinated by and I'm really glad it was spoken about oh I'm so um, glad to hear that uh general impressions Oh, the conference has just been amazing. I mean, the crowd is just so welcoming and supportive. Um, just, I mean, as well as scholars and people interested in Wallace seem to be. Um, diversity has been great. The range of topics has been amazing. It's just, yeah, cannot speak highly enough of it. It's been great meeting you. Again, we met a couple of years ago here as well, didn't <laughs> we? Did, we did, yeah. a few years ago. So. Thank you so much. Thanks, Nick. And hopefully next time. Definitely next time. And we're back on, and this time I'm with Tor. Do you want to introduce yourself? Sure, my name is, uh, and I'll pronounce it in Danish, oh, to be, be exotic, uh, Tor Bry Andersen, uh, and I'm from uh, Aarhus University. <laughs> and I did a paper called uh, The First and Second Coming of Infinite Jest, and it was basically about stuff I bought on eBay and Ape Books during the past 10 years or so. Uh, to be more specific, uh, I did a paper on all the pre-publication excerpts of Infinite Jest that came out since the beginning in, in 1992 uh, and up to the publication of the novel itself. Um, and the reason why I did that paper was because yeah, no one's really done anything on those excerpts before. And I find that kind of strange, uh, especially considering the, the massive number of excerpts which came out. Yes. There was more than than 10 excerpts which appeared before the the novel itself. Um, so one of my motives for doing the paper was basically just to to set the record straight, to, to try to gather all the excerpts together, which, which hasn't really been done before. Uh, the bibliographies I've managed to find uh, in various places are either incomplete or have a couple of errors. So, uh, Absolutely, and that yeah. includes stuff on, on the Howling Phantoms as well. Well, and that I... was one of the, the <laughs> best, most useful resources, but uh, yeah, there were a couple of um, tiny, tiny errors there. It, it is out of date, I'm not going yeah. to argue with that. What I loved is like, looking around the audience while you're presenting at the covers where these uh, pre-publication materials appeared and seeing people like David Herring rapidly scribbling <laughs> down as I was. Like, yeah. I'd never seen that before and and the page count uh, 130 pages ish yeah, of, yeah. of pre-publication material from infinite jest yeah that's quite a lot yes so, uh, it is as i said during my talk i mean uh, i'm sure not not all readers read every excerpt before but if you were a wallace fan in the early 90s yes. you certainly had the opportunity to acquaint yourself with the novel before it yes before it came out um, Another thing I talked about in my paper was kind of a strange imbalance in the, those excerpts. If you look at them uh, together, what I find kind of fascinating is that the whole uh, hell in condenser ETA strand of, of Infinite Jest is practically absent in those yes. excerpts. Most of them deal with Inner House, with Don Gately, uh, with the down and outs in, uh, in Boston. Um, and that's it's kind of strange um, because, I mean, looking at Infinite 
suggests the published novel, Hell is just as important a, a character as, yes. as Don, but he's absent in those excerpts, even though Wallace began writing about Hell and then eventually moved on to, to Don. So, uh, it was just, it was in such an engaging um, paper. And oh, I'm thanks. so pleased I got to see it and be here rather than hear about it, a small part of it through yeah. the podcast. Uh, final thoughts about the conference, anything you want to add? Yeah, I loved the format of the conference. Uh, we talked earlier in the evening about how it was comparable to the Paris conference in, in 2014 in that all people were together in the same room during the three days. So yes. uh, a conversation kind of evolves uh, as it couldn't have if, if people had been attending parallel panels. So uh, yes. I kind of that's the way conferences should be done, I think. So. It, was, it, was, it was an amazing time. Thank you so much. I'm glad I got to meet you. Yeah, and have a safe trip home. Thanks. Bye-bye. Right, another one of these. We're getting a whole cracker of amount of, of conference attendees. Who do we have here? I'm Nat Seffold. I presented a paper called The Ghost in the Machine Learning, all about David Foster Wallace's uh, artificial intelligence and programming it to quite like him. I, I have to admit that I, um, I had a total geek out <laughs> moment about natural language processing <laughs> and, and um, how you were talking about taking the Infinite Jest text and then passing it. But how were you passing it? Uh, passing it is is kind of the almost the boring, really labor-intensive yes. part of the project. Um, just converting the raw text into into data, basically um, breaking down the syntax, semantics, uh, even the rhythms. Uh, and, the and you weren't doing that with software, were you? A little bit where I could, <laughs> uh, but a lot of it was very manual and labor-intensive. Yeah. And um, I, 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 there was a, the the kind of ongoing endpoint you it was really interesting to talk about some of the systems that you were thinking about using to get to that point and um, um, from my perspective some really exciting things but also some people find terrifying about language processing and AI and that kind of stuff did anything else you wanted to add about future directions for what you're trying to do uh, yeah obviously artificial intelligence is a is a big area of investment for companies like Google and and Facebook and Apple obviously the companies people are excited and scared about um, just because they work what they're working on have so much potential for good but for bad as well as well but um, this this application should should definitely be more on the fun side yes yes uh, and more ethically neutral than uh, maybe what the big <laughs> companies themselves are planning to use their programs for and what, what do you think of the conference the conference was uh, a lot of fun. Um, even after being to normal, uh, just met a whole ton of new people with some really crazy, brilliant ideas that uh, I'll probably spend the next few weeks just passing and breaking down what I feel about them. <laughs> yeah, same, same. Look, thanks for your time, and it was great to meet you. Cheers. No worries. Thank you, Nick. Okay, um, I'm outside after the conference dinner with Thomas. Would you like to introduce yourself and give us just a, a splash of what you spoke about at the conference? Yeah, so I'm Thomas Rankert. Um, I'm a postdoc at Heidelberg University, Germany. And uh, I spoke uh, on, or gave a, tried to give a theological exploration into David Foster Wallace's work. With uh, respect to the topics of salvation, sin and church and uh, I try to do that by disregarding all the biographical stuff that's out there about Wallace and that's being discussed extensively in other channels. And uh, I mean that 
that's what I really enjoyed about it. I think when you took it outside of those channels, that made it engaging and interesting for me. Um, and that was a new thing for me. So once again, of the many highlights of, of the conference, um, it was great to be kind of to, to be exposed to new ideas and let myself um, be exposed and think about them. Um, Very pleased to hear that. <laughs> what, what about what about the conference as a whole? Any any overarching comments or thoughts? Well, it was. Uh very enjoyable. It was a um, perfect mixture of different opinions and perspective. And the interesting thing for me was to realize that a lot of the observations and a lot of the work and the approaches actually kind of converged into similar or parallel results or conclusions. Yes, I, I agree. That was a, that was a feeling that coalescence happened sort of as as the three days rolled on was just it was just really nice and my brain hurt a lot um as it usually does for me when i'm doing too much thinking but it, it was just a great time um thanks for speaking um it Thank was you. wonderful to meet you and hope to see you again in the future thanks so yeah one more thing um before i forget i uh i'm very grateful for the uh grant that i received uh, from the international david foster wallace society to help with uh, the coverage of the travel expenses and so on. I'm, I'm really grateful for that, so thanks a lot. Uh, and, and they also gave a, a, a grant for travel as well to um, New Zealand scholar Tasha Haynes, so the Wallace Society is, is all over this. Um, I, I kind of, I guess I can't not mention the, the wonderful merch and the pens um, also branded with the logo, and you know, I, I'm having a bit of a laugh here while I say it, but to feel that the community and the society and everything is coming together is a really exciting thing, not to mention the upcoming journal as well. All right, we're recording. Uh, okay, so um, I think we're, we're down to the last few people after the uh, conference dinner. Um, I, I'm particularly, I think I'm doing okay with the way that I'm speaking, which is all right. Um, but I'll, uh, I'll pass one to, to a final few people. I'll get them to introduce themselves first and um, give some impressions about what they heard, what they spoke about at the conference. Who have we got up first? I'm Tim. Hello, Nick. Hello, Tim. Uh, I am uh, a Wallace reader, former, first and foremost, I think. Um, someone who's interested in him, not in an academic... So I, I am in, interested in the academic stuff, but I'm not well read in it. And... I'm here as I, I feel like personally I'm going through a strange journey theologically from a sort of atheism, anti-theism thing into potentially religion, potentially Christianity and Wallace is one of my, my arrows pointing me in that direction. <laughs> so conference as a whole, what do you think? Uh, I love the conference, yeah, yeah. I highly recommend coming. I've met many kindred spirits, um, started some great conversations with, with some people, the conversations I wanted to have as well. So, yeah, right. Um, if you are not, if, you, if you're a sort of a novice in uh, philosophy and theology, but feel like you understand Wallace at its you know, at, at his human level, I would I would recommend coming along and having some conversations. 
It's a really welcoming community, um, and uh, I'm continually overwhelmed with that kind of thing mm. around that, that Wallace mm. Wallace community in general. Mm. Um, so many different elements coming together at conferences like these across the world. Mm. So it's a really exciting thing to be part of. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for your comments. Hope to see you at the next conference. I'll be there. Danny, would you introduce yourself to the podcast and give us a bit of a, a, a word on, on what you presented? Yes, um, hello. Uh, so, yeah, I'm Danny Sheaf, and my, my formal academic training is, is in philosophy, um, which, yeah, I, yeah it's, it's, I've had a lot of interesting perspectives, but I gave, I guess, a more politically informed paper. And, um, yeah, essentially I was arguing that... Um, there's a lot of readings of Wallace that kind of uh, reduce, I guess, the site of, of, of uh, the, you know, the site of rethinking some of the kind of postmodern solipsism of some of these issues. They reduce that to uh, an individual stance, I guess. And my argument was that um, you, you, you can't fight these kind of cultural issues at the level of the, of the individual subject. And I, and, and I would argue that lots of Wallace's fiction is, is an attempt to, to kind of rethink the way that we think about social criticism. And we tend to kind of conflate what should be social criticism with self-criticism. And we kind of internalise these things and we think that we can rethink our problems on the level of subjectivity. And I would argue that, that, that what Wallace is showing that these things only happen on the social level. Like we are fundamentally, even ontologically, social human beings. And human meaning is something that is social. It's not something subjective. It's not something that's in your head. It's it's something that is, by definition, social. So you, you, you can't you can't overcome these issues by psychologizing them. You can't overcome them just yourself. You you can only overcome them by actually engaging and fighting against the, the cultural trend that's, which tells you that it's you alone and it's you alone that's responsible for your, for your happiness and things like that. So I'm trying to, so I'm trying to bring that out in, in regards to The Pale King. Uh, I'm, um, I'm actually really impressed with your summary of your paper there um, <laughs> be, because it was, I, I thought it was a pretty heavy paper and it was in the first day of the conference yeah. and, and in fact a lot of other threads, it, 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 it sort of started a number of threads in the conference as well, um, talking about the individual versus the collective and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I'm oversimplifying, oversimplifying here, but it was really good to have that kind of that that start to the conference and then have that eased out, eked out, and teased out in a number of different ways. Yeah, yeah. So, conference as a whole, what do you think? Yeah, it was wonderful. As you say, these, these different perspectives. Like, there, there was an aspect of there, <laughs> a goal was scored, but um, yeah, there, there was an aspect of we were we, we all. I felt like there was this this aspect that we were all hovering around some really central issues, and one of them one of them was this kind of how does the social relate to the individual? Yes. And and are we in our own heads or are our heads? part of something collective and and yeah it was really interesting I could read aspects of my own project into almost every paper and I really gained a lot and, and yeah hopefully we'll be able to speak to, to people after this about you know how our how seemingly different kind of approaches were actually hovering around the same central issue I, I, I agree thank you so much for your time and it's great meeting you Danny thank you yeah.
hello, testing, hello everyone. Um, uh, I'm sitting here in a small office at the University of Canberra. My and little it, cloister, my little academic cubicle. It's four days after the conference and this gentleman here had to run off to fly back to, I believe, deliver a lecture first thing the next morning. Yes, that's true. Um, so would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Duncan Driver. I'm an assistant professor of teacher education at the University of Canberra. How good is it to be on location? That's one of the nice things about having another Canberra person at the conference. So um, quickly, like everyone else, um, Duncan, do you want to give us a, a, a one and a half, two minute spiel of what your little... My little contribution, little contribution was? So it was, yeah, sure. Um, I wanted to look at Wallace's teaching. I'd anticipated that most of the papers would probably be necessarily focused on elements of Wallace's writing. And so as an education academic, I thought I could bring in an interesting perspective on what I saw to be elements of his pedagogy and his practice. So um, the paper that I delivered was in thirds. The first third was really an attempt to look at what I saw as paradoxes or contradictions in Wallace's teaching. Mm. An obvious one might be um, students complaining about what a, a pedagogical hard arse he was with pop quiz and you know never fail to proofread something you turn into me yes. and the other side of it being students saying I can't believe how much he cared for students and genuinely tried to make real connections and you know cried at the end of units of study at the thought of not seeing them again yes yes um, so that was one example um, I, I spent the the sort of central section of the paper trying to find ways of resolving some of these contradictions or at least saying there's a complementary element to them if you look at um, education theory. So, I mean, we were talking before the tape started rolling yes. about Dylan Williams, yes, who's we one were. of my favorite education gurus. Um, look him up, he looks like a nightclub bouncer. And I think he's the only <laughs> education academic yes. to have his own reality TV show yes. as well. Yes. Um, but I used him in order to, to introduce this idea that uh, education is predicated now more than ever on a concept of growth mm. uh, and it should be every individual student's desire to, to grow personally. Um, John Hattie in Australia talks about yes. similar things. We should expect mm. a year's worth of growth or a year's worth of input regardless of what level mm. students are actually performing at. So I, I wanted to talk about that idea of growth. Um, uh, personal responsibility um, and connect some of the dots between Wallace as, a, as quite a humanist writer and those concepts in education. Yes. The last third yeah. of the paper was, was really an attempt to look at um, if we can apply some of what I was saying about Wallace as a teacher to Wallace's writing. And um, sometimes you look at scholarship and they're quite separate things. Yes, you might look absolutely. at uh, the aspects of the Pale King or aspects of Infinite Jest and then there might be a little section and this is Wallace as a teacher and have a look at these core syllabi. So I wanted to see if there were interesting points of connection between the two and I focused that on the short story Think as an example of something like Wallace the teacher using the pages of his book as an extension of the classroom. I, I, I was fascinated, um, but you know I'm coming in from the same direction as you with this background in education and teaching and I know that I've lapped up absolutely every piece of text where it's someone observing Wallace teaching, him talking about his teachings quietly, not too much, or students talking about his teaching and what type of an influence he was as a teacher. Um, I'm going to leave it there for a moment sure. and just wonder what you thought of the conference as a whole. I really, really loved it. I didn't know what to expect going in because it had been a few years since I went to any kind of academic right. conference. Um, 
I liked the fact that it had a degree of intimacy to it. Mm. I think a lot of academic conferences, um, a colleague was saying she was at one at exactly the same time. It had over a thousand people at it. Yes. Yeah. And I don't know what the, the body count for yeah. us was, but it felt like maybe 20 to 30. Yeah, I think, like yeah, that. it was between that. Yeah. And I felt like by the end of the conference, I had some degree of familiarity with each person yes. present, which was, it was lovely. It created something like a, a supportive environment. <laughs> The other thing that, that struck me was the um, the diversity of interests present. Yes. I suppose that's something you could see mm. in a lot of conferences, but they don't often strike you as much. I expected maybe because it's Wallace, yes. it's relatively niche mm. for everyone to be talking about elements of postmodernism and the Pale King. Yes, yeah, you know, and and that was certainly present. Mm. But I really liked. Um, a diverse range of interests and I think maybe that's partly down to Tony doing such a good job selecting presentations. Yeah, I think he did um, a great job there. And yeah. I was fascinated to hear perspectives on elements of Wallace's writing that I hadn't considered before. One, one thing I like to think back to and it's now, it's occurred every time I've met new people through Wallace as a connection and that includes you as well, is it really feels like that if you're speaking to someone else that's there because they've appreciated his writing, mm. there's already this big barrier mm. that's just dropped and gone. You're not as guarded yeah. as it would be yeah, because you feel like there's already an implicit point of connection. Yes, yeah. yeah. Which is, I, mean, I guess that's the case with any hobby or, or interest or whatever, mm. but it just feels so exacerbated when you're in that kind of community situation. That's right. It reminds me of a line in an Alan Bennett play called The History Boys. This is a play I'm going to take you to. Yes, yes, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, there's a moment where one of the teachers says the best moments in reading are when you come across something, a thought, a feeling that you thought was particular to you, and yet here it is written down often by somebody who's long dead. And yes. it's almost as if a hand is coming out of the text and taking yours. And in many ways, that idea goes against every direction, every kind of implied arrow of postmodernism, which is all about um, the text as degree zero. And, yes. you know, the reader is the one who's constructing meaning and the author function, not the actual author. But maybe if we, to, to pick up on one of the, the paper's ideas, maybe if Wallace is approaching writing from this perspective of new sincerity, it actually is yes. about a point of connection between two people. And if that's there in the text, it justifies what you're saying about connecting to people who also have that interest. Do you always say interesting things? Um, only when I'm with you. <laughs> and only, only when I have a, a, a platform to perform <laughs> on, whether, you know, um, digital or real. Yes. Look, I'm, I'm so pleased that we made time to catch up and get you on the podcast. And um, I guess I'll be seeing you in a couple of weeks at History Boys. Absolutely. Awesome. See ya. See ya. And we're back from Nick's interviews. Nick, uh, thanks so much again for all your awesome uh, corresponding on the ground on our behalf. We really appreciate it. Uh, honorary host for this episode, Nick Maniatis. Um, so just a few kind of closing r remarks for episode 34. And... Uh, and then we'll see you guys next time. But we uh, we recently, Matt, got to celebrate two years of this podcast existing. Uh, October 2015 it started, and it still exists, so that's cool. Thanks, everyone, for listening for the last couple of years, for, for all your support. It's been, it's been amazing uh, doing this with you. We also want to mention, uh, very sadly, that uh, episode 29 guest Charlie Harris uh, recently passed away, and 
the Wallace community has been, I mean, just reeling from that. And uh, so we want to offer our condolences to his family and loved ones and just say how much we've appreciated Charlie in this community. And I mean, Charlie is a big um, part of the reason why there is a David Foster Wallace conference in uh, Illinois State in Bloomington Normal. And, and yeah. frankly, he's the reason why uh, David Foster Wallace lived in Bloomington Normal for many years um, mm-hmm. as a professor at ISU is that Charlie Harris um, hired him and was the chair of the department there. And he, he, you know, would not have ended up there as long as he did if it were not for Charlie Harris. And uh, me personally, I mean, there's a lot of people that I have met in my travels of um, – you know, studying Wallace and uh, that, that I find to be total inspirations. Mm-hmm. And, and Nick Maniitis, who we just talked to, is one of them. Um, and Nick is a big inspiration to me, and I'm really thankful mm-hmm. to him. Um, and Charlie Harris was sort of like a mentor to me. And when I first met him, you know, I knew of him before I met him um, because he was uh, the chair of the department, and, and he did a lot to bring FC2 and Dalkey Archive together. Uh, as as a publishing presence in central Illinois mm. and also as a Barth scholar uh, and then and then to meet him and just see how um, right. really welcoming and kind he was as an emeritus professor and mm. to meet uh, his wife who is you know super mm-hmm. um, uh, sh- sharp person herself and like if you ever get a chance to have a conversation with Victoria Harris I highly recommend it um, and just every year as the, mm-hmm. the conference grew bigger and bigger and in normal, um, having Charlie there was a huge part of it. And that's why whenever I thought of, you know, the one person I wanted to have on the podcast uh, last year for sure, or even years before in 2015 mm-hmm. was Charlie Harris. Um, yeah. So having him, I'm, I'm really thankful that we got to have him on the show. And mm-hmm. when I got the news, um, you know, the end of October, beginning of November, I guess that he had passed away. I, I was just shocked and saddened because yeah. he seemed in such good health um, this summer. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, I, I corresponded with him pretty frequently, even after the, the conference is, is over. I always correspond with him. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I was just very, very saddened to hear that he'd passed because I, I really looked up to him. Yeah. So it, it meant a lot to me to, to get to interview him this summer. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like I can't. Like I'm hard pressed to think of a more like warm and and genuinely amazing person than Charlie. Like f- like you said. Like for him to be uh, an emeritus professor and and to be so humble and you know you you often think of of academics like that as kind of maybe staunch and and closed off. Uh, but Charlie was the exact opposite of that. Um, just an, an amazing guy. So we'll deeply miss Charlie. Uh, I'm just thankful that we got to spend the time that we had with him. I mean, we I had plans with him to, um, you know, do some more things in the future that, that are probably not going to happen now. And I'm very, uh, sad about that. And I, I just, you know, feel slightly bad that I, I didn't really, you know, this is when someone dies suddenly. You didn't get a chance to say goodbye. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was talked to him about a lot of different issues um, that were personal to me, and you know, maybe we can 
talk about those at some point in the future of, of some of the things that he, um, you know, did to the conference in general and to the community mm-hmm. and the publishing community there. We did talk about that a bit this summer, you know, on our podcast with Jim Plath. Um, yeah. But no, he's just a super important person in the history of Wallace Studies. And, you mm-hmm. know, he he was on the board of the Bloomsbury's committee of the um, David Foster Wallace Studies, the first, you know, series of academic books of which Lucas Thompson's book was the first. Um, right. I mean, Charlie was on that committee and he's on a lot of boards. He was on the board of Dalkey Archive Press and just, um, you know, incredibly committed um, member of his community. So uh, mm-hmm. he's just a huge loss. Yeah, absolutely. We have a few other uh, people we want to mention uh, on this show, Dave. Um, yeah. Yeah, a friend of ours, Samantha Wallace, who you've heard before on the show, uh, has a new podcast, uh, which is kind of in the similar realm as ours. It's a literary podcast, and it's called Circulating Spaces, Literary and Language Worlds in a Global Age, uh, in which her and a co-host explore what it means to engage with literature on a, as sort of a global scale community through uh, a series of podcasts. And we'll put the, a link to that in our show notes. Uh, we also want to give a special... Um, you know, enthusiastic shout out to listener Scarlett Sims, who uh, was on Jeopardy a few weeks back and actually managed to defeat the reigning champion, Austin Rogers. So Scarlett, uh, well done. It was super fun watching you and learning uh, like the next day that that you follow our podcast and listen to it. Um, So that was very cool to see. So way to go. Uh, We also want to say hey to Brian Cooper, uh, who's a listener with whom I've had a, a quite extensive dialogue lately about uh, Snecticky, New York, uh, the film we talked about last episode with Elard. Uh, and then we got into all kinds of other things about theology and other films and stuff too. So, Brian, thanks for that. Uh, another shout out to David Drury, Stephanie Drury, and Don Cerny. Uh, we went out for drinks a couple weeks ago in Seattle. Uh, talked some Wallace, uh, talked about Robin O'Neill, talked about uh, Don's husband, D.W. Burnham, who is... Uh, Robin claims her biggest literary influence, like, is the best reader that she knows and, and puts her on to the, all the best stuff. So uh, thanks again for hanging out wow. to you guys. Yeah, that's that's a lot coming from her, too. Uh, and also, we want to thank Nick Jackson, who yesterday posted on our Facebook wall uh, a picture of him on a cruise ship eating lobster, uh, holding supposedly <laughs> fun thing and consider the lobster. Nick, thanks for that. That was a great, great moment of levity. Uh, and Matt, if people want to get in touch with us on the social media things, where can they find us? We are at concavity show on Twitter and Instagram, and you can email us, uh, concavity show at gmail.com. Uh, I still have some stickers. If you want a sticker that says can, uh, great concavity, email me at concavity show at gmail.com. And, uh, we have a Facebook page. I guess you just search the great concavity. I don't know. That's right. It's that easy. <laughs> awesome. And thanks as usual to Robin O'Neill and Parquet Courts for their art uh, that's associated with our show. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you. So, uh, hello, everyone. Uh, this is Nick Maniatis again, uh, corresponding from, I don't know, Australia, 
Yeah, I think it's. I'm pretty is sure it Australia? Australia. I'm pretty sure they say it's a continent. And on this and is, I'm pretty sure that that's the continent we're in. This is uh, Dr. Tony McMahon here next to me. Hello, everybody. And uh, I, I might just slow down and wait for this celebration sure, music sure, to uh, sure. to go. Sure. Okay, there we go. Sure. But but Tony, where, where are we right now? Well, we're in uh, Melbourne. We're at Etihad Stadium. Although I don't like to say that because it's so corporate. Um, we're at. Uh, Dockland That's Stadium. Dockland is what I prefer as yep. well. Yep. yep. So it's an AFL venue slash concert venue slash there's like a speedway motorcycle race here in a couple of weeks. They do all sorts of things here, but tonight we're watching a football game. And when I say football, I don't mean that odd game with the round ball and the net and the goalkeeper. What's that called, Nick? Football. Soccer. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't mean that. I mean real football, Australian football, uh, AFL. But in an interesting little twist, it's uh, actually a women's AFL game because the men are having a break and it's just way cool. It's just kind of really, really fun and really, really skillful and really, really awesome. And these women are fantastic and there's all these Americans with confused looks on their face <laughs> and there's a couple of Germans and a guy from Denmark. Uh, Someone from Liverpool. There's here a as Liverpool well. person, some bloke, uh, Haring or something. Something like that. Something wrote like that. some book uh, about the David Foster somebody. Yeah, Bill Latanz is the only one who really understands the game, but he's from Boston, and they're a very kind of. Yeah, Boston's a bit like Melbourne. It's a sports mad place. Um, yeah, we're mad about our sports in Melbourne. What can I say? It's a Saturday night of the conference. Uh, uh, I thought we'd do something different, and yeah, there's a whole bunch of us here at the football. We'll we'll have to um we'll we'll see if we can edit out some of the background sound. But I did a test before, and I with this there we go. It's oh, half time. Oh, uh, the, yeah. the, the music's going to start up. We might yeah. we might. But I might I might just put over to Bill for a moment yeah. and get some impressions of the uh, evening so far and the game so far. It's completely insane. This game. It's basically no rules. Uh, <laughs> you run back and forth. You kick the ball. Uh, and people cheer. So it's it's actually quite wonderful. No, seriously, it's fun to watch. It's just, uh, it's a little like rugby, but it, when you pass the ball, you have to punch it strangely, <laughs> kind of like a like a baked ham uh, or a loaf of bread to your teammate. And and there are these four posts, two or higher than the ones like goalposts in American football. And if you kick it through those goalposts, it's six points, like a proper touchdown in football. If you kick it kick it through the side. It's like a consolation prize through the outer post. <laughs> and they give you a point because they feel bad for you. In America, we just fire you from the team if that happens. But here they give you a point, which I think is nice. Sure. We're on the uh, Concavity podcast right now while at the game and just wondering, wondering what you think of the game that you're viewing so far. It's great. The rules are completely unfathomable to me. Uh, I mean, I'm reminded of uh, Stitt, who describes tennis as... Uh, uh, and an infinite number of possibilities within a bounded space. He he hasn't seen Australian football. I mean, th this is complexity uh, and a radically shaped ball, and uh, I guess 40 people in the field. So there's complexity for you. But it's very enjoyable. Yeah. And what do you think of um, of our conference entertainment being at a stadium? 
Oh, I think it's great. I've been looking forward to it ever since Tony mentioned it in an, in an email. Uh, instead of the usual hanging around in bars, uh, <laughs> what's what's not to like here? So. Right now, everyone, we are. Um, this is the end of the the evening of the second day of the conference, and uh, I, I I I'm in, I'm overwhelmed already. So chilling out at the football with a number of wonderful people is just an incredible way to finish and a testament to Tony's organization as well. All right, I'm going to move along and see who else we've got here. Um, Thomas, how, how are you feeling about the evening? Well, it's uh, uh, great, obviously, but also uh, quite confusing and uh, um, yeah, I feel like uh, watching something new to me at all, uh, which is uh, always a great experience. Concavity podcast live from the AFL. <laughs> um, who are we speaking to right now? Shelley Greaves Zirkel. Hello, Shelley. Danny Zirkel. Hello. And Shelley, I um I sent out some amazing tweets this afternoon of your Anantiad puppets. But I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about your impressions of AFL. <laughs> I'm starting to catch on a little bit. I was just informed, however, if this were a men's game, that the score would be 100. And I attribute that to just the fact that the men have no defense. <laughs> um, but uh, I think Tony's done a wonderful job of organizing a social occasion that is away from the conference. And it's somewhere really different. And, and truly, truly unique. Thank you for your comments this evening. Hopefully, uh, we'll have some more uh, Wallace and professional discussion tomorrow. Did I say band camp? I meant, you did. I meant summer camp. <laughs> band that's camp works, you, man. That's something you really, really should cut out because, yeah, band, yeah, band camp and summer Because it means you've been watching uh, like American Pie recently or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, no, that's. No one wants that on their reputation, right? Yeah, that's something you really need to cut out. And I know you won't because I just listened to your interview with. <laughs> race and you were saying you were going to cut all this stuff out and you didn't yeah that so, always i always leave that stuff in because <laughs> it ends up being like the funniest stuff yeah yeah fair <laughs> enough okay all right